So the reading's Luke 21 and it's page 745. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and of revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that it is, its desolation is near. Let the, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let those in the city go out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfilment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be those days for pregnant mother, women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken by pris as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by Gentiles until the time of Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself 
and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away in all t until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Okay, let us pray and... Um work through this passage. Lord, thank you for this time we have together now. Thank you that uh, you give us a word from yourself. We pray that we'd um, understand more of what Jesus is teaching and uh, be strengthened and encouraged by him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, the title of this talk is uh, The Struggle Before the End Game. And as we think about end games, there are different kinds of end games that we might be uh, used to seeing. Uh, one of the disappointing experiences that people can have is watching their team going into a losing end game. Uh, whether it's in politics or in other areas, uh, we can see the writing on the wall coming at a certain point. When the voting in politics reaches a turning point where one party cannot win. At that time, a leader might take the microphone and concede defeat. And of course, uh, recently, well, more recently, it was Bill Shorten's turn to do that, uh, to, to concede that he wasn't going to win the election. And those along him uh, looked deflated, sometimes with tears in their eyes, in the knowledge that they were going into a losing endgame this time. <clears throat> Even Lee Sales, a neutral observer from the ABC, looked like she'd sucked a lemon as she uh, commentated on that turning point in the election. But it's not just in politics, is it, where we can uh, watch an end game. Personally, as an observer of soccer, it's been very difficult for me to be an England supporter, uh, for a long time, actually. Uh, but more recently this year, when they were competing in the Euro 2016 finals. Uh, it was hard to rejoice as Iceland of all teams, that little country, you know, it's about as big as Tasmania, isn't it? Uh, defeated England in the quarterfinals. And part of the drama, and the sorrow really, if you can stick with me here for a minute, <laughs> was just watching the clock wind down and knowing that England just weren't gonna have enough time to salvage it. They, and I, experienced the uh, discouragement of watching their team, here's the theme, going into a losing endgame. There we go. Well, whilst there is a losing endgame, there is the flip side of that too, isn't there? That there is a team that's going into a winning endgame. That's the other side of the coin. They still know that they've got to get over the line. Like a front row forward, very close to the line, they're charging. They know they're going to get there. 
And with the knowledge that there is a turning point, that they're going into a winning end game, that can make a big difference to morale, can't it? And as they cruise to victory, uh, it helps them to know that they, they will get there. There is a turning point. Uh, morale lifts if they know they're going into a winning end game. Well, today, uh, in the passage that was read earlier, Jesus speaks about some end games. For some, it would be a, a very discouraging time. But for those who are on the side of Jesus, they can be greatly encouraged by the end result and the victory, ultimately, that's bound up with being on God's side. So despite knowing that there's a, a difficult period to still work through before that time, uh, Jesus ultimately encourages us to press on with our faith in him for that time of victory with him at the end. Well, let's now look quickly at the historical context before uh, we unpack this passage. Uh, we're situated in verse 1 with an image of the temple in the background. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Well, the temple and those who are custodians of serving there have come into some criticism by Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was selling in the temp temple area, he drove some people out saying, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. His message was clear that those who were serving in the temple were neglecting to do what was right in their service of God. Instead, they were more interested in serving themselves. And so the people who were leaders uh, had come into other criticism as well, where Jesus described them as those who devoured widows' houses on the one hand, and yet as leaders they were making lengthy prayers on, their other, on the other hand. And so Jesus is pointing to what might be described as a breakdown in the system. Because God's name was attached to the temple, and yet things weren't right, were they? And so Jesus is drawing our minds to these kinds of problems. And the problem with the service within the temple that led to God's name being taken in vain. How long is this going to go on for? How long will God's name be associated with this kind of malpractice? Well, in today's passage, Jesus draws attention to uh, problems with respect to service in the temple once again. The poor widow, she gives up um, two copper coins. These are lepta uh, and they're a fraction of a day's wages. You might be able to buy some hot chips or something with them. Whether they had hot chips back then, I don't know. Uh, but it's not a lot of money she's putting in. Does Jesus actually praise her for what she does? Well, it's, it's a difficult situation at one level that he's in. On the one hand, he can praise her for her faithfulness and her character that she gives out of a poverty. That's, that shows good character and trust in God. But at another level, it's, it's still reinforcing a system that's kind of uh, lost the plot. It's, it's, it's lost its grip on what its function was partly bound up to be, which was to actually help the poor. The leaders of Israel were supposed to look after the poor, uh, not ride them into the ground. And so we see that she gives out of her poverty, but others uh, giving, are giving out of their wealth. So whilst the poor should have been looked after by uh, the leadership, instead 
the leadership had a reputation for exploiting the poor, and that seems to be represented in this sort of situation. She gave all she had to live on. Well, Jesus does rebuke the leadership for this kind of problem, this, the way things have um, really fallen. In, earlier on in Luke, he says to the Pharisees that they're full of greed and wickedness, but they should be generous to the poor. He says they're good at um, you know, tithing not only their money, but also their, their little garden herbs they might have on a windowsill. And they, they tithe a tenth of their mint, rue and other garden herbs, but they neglect justice and the love of God. And so Jesus is saying, well, we're seeing a, a system that's really falling apart. But Jesus, on the other hand, comes to bring good news for the poor. That's one of the messages from Luke's gospel. Well, what good news for the poor did Jesus have? Well, ultimately, it's the message of the kingdom of God. In chapter 6, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Ultimately, God is going to be righting wrongs. He's going to deliver uh, people to his kingdom and put an end to the sorrow and the corruption and the hardship of this present age. But for the time being, as we're looking at this passage and what's being spoken about here, uh, that kingdom hadn't come in fullness. Instead, Israel was living under Roman rule and the temple and religious leaders seemed to care little for the poor. Well, this setting of the temple stimulates some comments by the disciples as they're looking on at the temple. It's been embellished by uh, Herod the Great in the past. In 20 BC, he started to rebuild it. Uh, it's had some impressive work done. A lot of things were covered in gold. Uh, even it had marble in the ceilings. And this temple was actually um, renovated. Uh, Herod the Great wasn't actually a Jew. He was an Idumean. And some of his reason for maybe improving it was to ingratiate himself to the Jews to be their leader. But, you know, they spent a fair bit of... I don't know if you've done a bit of renovation at your house and how long it's taken to get things right, but this temple renovation took up to 66 AD, they were still working on it. The irony was it got pulled down in 70 AD, as we're going to see. But um, yeah, so there's uh, a, a fair bit of work that's been going on. And so that's what we're looking at in the passage today. This, the disciples are getting a bit excited. They're focusing on the, um, the temple and all its glory in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> but their comment uh, invites some prophecy about the temple. So let's pick this up in verse 5 and 6. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Okay, so the temple is grand. Herod had renovated it, and it seems that uh, those who are doing pretty well have devoted gifts to God, and they're, they're adorning this temple with uh, precious gems and things like that. But it's, the, it's within this sort of, um, you know, they, they're going down one track in their thinking, thinking about the aesthetics of the beauty of the temple, that Jesus sort of changes gear, really, and, or changes tack, and he gives them a reality check. Uh, earlier in chapter 19, he weeps over Jerusalem for what's 
coming upon Jerusalem. People, uh, we know from the, uh, the parable of the tenants that was, a, that was directed at the leaders saying, in the past people rejected God's prophets and now they're even going to reject God's son and this vineyard is going to be given to others, namely the Gentiles. People ultimately don't recognise God visiting them in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. They ultimately reject Jesus' kingship over them. And instead, regretfully, they ask for a murderer to be released um, instead of Jesus. And so now, Jesus is going to speak in sharper terms about uh, the sign of things to come. He's going to talk about what the future holds in both the, the near, near future and also the much longer term. <clears throat> now, in some ways, he's like a... You're going to have to work with me here a little bit with this Port Macquarie context and the ocean. Okay, some ways, he's like a lifesaver, warning people in the water about a big wave that's coming to break in the impact zone before it reaches its breaking point and takes people out. He, Jesus is warning them of what's, what's coming, like a big wave coming. Now, having done a bit of surfing in Port Macquarie, I'm sure some of you have been to the beach as well, uh, there is a feeling of dread that comes over a person uh, when a big, big wave is coming, especially if you're caught in a tricky place and one of your mates calls out, freak set. Now, do you know what that means? That's a freak set is surfer speak for the, there's a jolly big wave coming to wipe us all out. You've got a duck for cover. And you're thinking to yourself as your mate calls this out, this could be it. Um, this isn't going to be pretty. And depending on how deep the water is and how tangled you are in your leg rope, uh, you also know that it's time to paddle like there's no tomorrow to, to get out of it. And even then, there's no guarantee you're going to make it over the top of the thing before it breaks. It's even worse if you're close to some rocks. And you're going to get ready to wash up on the barnacles and the sea urchins and visit a doctor later on to have them extracted out of your toes, speaking from experience. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know whether the, the sea urchins were more painful than the local anaesthetic going in. Anyway, let's get the feel of this. We're not supposed to be rejoicing in my suffering. We're supposed to be feeling the weight of this horror that's coming. So back to the Bible. To take this analogy a little bit further... Jesus is possibly and probably talking about two, inverted commas, freak sets that are on their way. The first one is damaging and frightening, and yet the second one is probably a bit more like a tsunami or tidal wave. And that's because the scope of this passage seems to include two kinds of things that are coming. He sheds light on the future about the fall of Jerusalem. That can be thought of like as the first wave. It's going to be dreadful. The disciples want more information about it, about this destruction coming. They want to know when and the sign. And so that's what we get in these, uh, in these verses. In verses 8 to 19, Jesus talks about the when, but the news from verse 9 is that the end won't come right away. And so there is this temple destruction coming, but there's also the very end as well that seems to be in the scope of this passage. In verses 20 to 31, he deals with the sign of destruction. We'll pick that up in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. 
And further, he starts to use an illustration from agriculture. They know what's going on in agriculture when they look at the, the fig tree, verse 29. And all of the trees, when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Well, that's the first kind of wave that's coming. They're saying, he's saying the leading indicators, the armies gathering, that's the sign. But the end, though, the tidal wave or the tsunami coming seems to be spoken about in the context of this first um, judgment, if you like. He speaks about the time of the end. Have a look in verses 17 to 19 now. Everyone will hate you because of me, verse 17, verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Well, they might die, but there'll still be life to speak of. Verse 25 to 28. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, actually, just noting this, in the book of Acts at the start, when Jesus ascends to heaven uh, to a a cloud, uh, two angels say he's going to uh, return the same way that he went. And so that may be uh, an indicator about the cloud business here. Verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In verse 34 and 36, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And so there seems to be two end games in mind. Let's take the first things first. Despite the trouble that is coming, Jesus still wants to encourage the disciples. And so in the first place, although they're curious about uh, when it's coming and a sign, Jesus doesn't want them to be deceived. We see that in verse 8. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. Uh, The risk is is that in their lifetime, as they approach the destruction of Jerusalem and the final judgment at the end, they'll be fooled by false messiahs and a belief in the end that is not actually the end. Even in our generation, I've had people say to me, you know, the world's going to end, etc. And then I say things like, well, if you're really convinced of that, that it's going to happen, you know, on such and such a date, how about you sign your home and contents into my name and you know, for the day after because you won't be needing them and they kind of look at me funny and then realise that they don't actually believe that. But here people are going to say the end is coming but it's not actually the end and Jesus is saying don't be deceived. It's like mountain climbers who are climbing a mountain and get to a false summit. They they think they're at the top and it looked like it was the top but there's still some way to go. The disciples need to keep their wits about them for the end doesn't come right away. In verse 9, Jesus wants to continue to encourage the disciples not to 
uh, be surprised by difficult times in verse 10. They've got to readjust their expectations about the sort of things that are going to go on before the end. Verse 10, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Uh, these difficulties won't disappear from the world and the disciples and we also need to accept that that's the character of this age before the end. There's still going to be uh, trauma and hardship that people will experience, including God's people. They want to know the when is the end and the signs, but Jesus wants them to be ready for hard times. And we see that in verses 12 to 19. He doesn't want them to be discouraged, particularly after he leaves. Let's pick it up in verse 12. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Those ideas actually remind us of the things that are going to unfold as we read through the book of Acts, actually. Uh, there are earthquakes in Acts. There are uh, stories about disciples being persecuted. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John heal a crippled beggar, they're, they're taken to stand on trial before the highest Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin called them in and command, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter responded by saying, is it right to obey them or to obey God? And then later he prayed, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And so Peter's persuaded that it's God's will for the gospel to go out, not just to obey the Sanhedrin. And Jesus wants his disciples to get ready for those hard times before the end. Well, he continues to teach them and in verses 20 to 24, he wants them to watch out for the, what might be called the leading indicators that the destruction of the temple will take place. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, let those in the country not enter the city. Jesus is letting them know about the things that are later coming to pass uh, before the Romans laid, laid waste to Jerusalem they surrounded it first and those who were listening to Jesus and took him seriously when they saw that happening they knew that it was time to fly the coop as they say it was going to be a very difficult time a horrible time we pick that up in verse 24 they will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Josephus is a Jewish historian who writes about this time, and you can read about that for yourself in your own time. Suffice to say, uh, it was a horrific time, a horrible time. Um, and Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in the knowledge that in the past, the nation of Israel has rejected God's kingship, rejected God's prophets, They've rejected God's son now uh, and that's the end for Israel. 
And Jesus speaks also about this warning of, a, of another day that's coming as well in language that might be called apocalyptic language. It's, it's um, referring to the end times to come. In verses 25 to 36, we see some of this. There'll be signs in the sun, moon and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming with a cloud, in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And so there's language about the very end drawing near, the end of the ages. And there's encouragement to stand firm as God's people to receive redemption, not to lose their nerve, uh, but to find comfort that they're closer to redemption in a time of distress. It reminds me a little bit of uh, stories where people are in a capsized boat where they're facing sunburn, thirst and cold. They huddle together and they remind each other that each minute is a closer to the Coast Guard rescuing, rescuing them. And so that's what we sort of see in verse 28. When these things are beginning to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Well, we've read about the um, sign from agriculture, how they know what's going on with the, the plants in verse 35. Uh, sorry, when we saw the, uh, the sprouting of the fig leaves, they knew that some was near. Jesus is using that analogy to let them know the temple will be destroyed as soon as the Romans surround it, then moves on to speak about the end for everyone. Verse 35, For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So there's... There's the uh, challenge to be ready for that, that temple destruction time, but also to stand before the Son of Man, which seems to be a, ready for God's judgment at the end. The time of the end where Jesus is a judge is something that's picked up in other parts of the Bible. We start to see this filled out a little bit more in the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke as well. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul speaks to the Athenians about their idolatry and says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. People have got to uh, accept that now's the time to sort things out with God. Verse 31, For he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And the point is... Uh, God is going to judge the world. People, all people everywhere need to turn back to God now. And so this passage has really dealt with two deep truths facing the disciples. The temple's destruction on the one hand, but also the judgment day and the end that's coming. And we're supposed to feel some of the weight of that as well. We, we can see that that prophecy came true as we look back in history at what happened. The Romans did destroy Jerusalem. But it's also true there's another day coming that we've got to be ready for. 
And the challenge also for us is to uh, share the good news with people to, to let them know there is a saviour uh, that they can have on that day. The judgment doesn't have to be a horrifying day because there's a saviour. God knows that uh, sin can't go unpunished, that justice needs to take place, but in his kindness he sent his son as a saviour for us. Well, the people hear Jesus' teaching and they continue to rally to him. That's what we see in verses 37 and 38. Each day Jesus was in the was teaching at the temple. And each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. And so at the start of Luke, it seems to finish the, the same way at the end. It starts in the temple with uh, Jesus being... Well, John the Baptist is in the temple when he gets the, the news. Oh, sorry, not John the Baptist. John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, was in the temple. And then Jesus is dedicated at the temple. Then Jesus uh, goes to the temple as a 12-year-old. He's about his father's business. And at the end of this gospel, we see Jesus again at the temple and he's teaching. He shows himself to be a true teacher of God's word, that he's got good news for the poor. And since shepherds, uh, sorry, teachers can be considered shepherds, uh, Jesus shows he is the good shepherd. He's leading the people, pastoring the people to know God and to serve God from the heart. Well, today we've seen Jesus teaching about the struggle uh, before a victory with God's people at the end. Many would experience the dread of the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, yet there's others who would have listened to Jesus and got out of there as well. Well, there's another day coming when God will judge the world by the man he's appointed, Jesus our Lord. Verse 27, we're told, At that time they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And yet on account of his willingness to be a sin-bearing sacrifice, as we're going to see in the gospel as it unfolds, Jesus is the sacrifice. We've got a saviour who spares us from God's justice on that judgment day. Jesus explains a little bit more about this at the end of this gospel in Luke 24. He said, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what, the, what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance... And forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so the challenge is for people to hear that news. <clears throat> to know that now's the time to, to get right with God, to turn back to God. Uh, to enjoy the fact that we can be forgiven for our sins. There's no, there's no heroes out there. There's no perfect people. We each need to receive grace. And the good news is God knows that and he's provided grace to us in his son, Jesus our Lord. And that, that news begins at Jerusalem. It goes out throughout the world, throughout history, and even people like us, some of us Anglo-Saxons and whatnot here in Port Macquarie, hear this good news repeated again. Some of us aren't Anglo-Saxons as well, that's right. <laughs> um, well, he teaches us about the struggle before the victory. And so may God help us to be those who live through difficult ages and all kinds of trauma before we enjoy this going into a winning endgame on the right side of the team, on the right team, 
to enjoy victory over sin and death at the end and be with our Lord Jesus. May God strengthen us to be those people who, who persevere to the end, to that time. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for the encouragement for, from Jesus to warn us about different traumas and trouble, but um, ultimately to remember that our redemption is drawing near as he will return again to judge. We give you thanks for his work, for his faithfulness and willing sacrifice, that he's a perfect sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Lord, we pray that we continue to repent from our sin and continue to put Jesus first as our Lord and Saviour. And we pray for the right words to share with the world, to challenge other people to... Uh, put their trust in him and to turn back to you and enjoy your forgiveness also. Lord, we thank you for this uh, comfort as we think about uh, life at the end, that we'll ultimately be enjoying victory with you. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.